minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Here we are on the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Oscar, I'm hosting today's program. Are you wondering what anarchism is all about? Very simple concept, totally simple. No, 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 no. It's not about destruction. You want destruction? Go to oligarch land, the US of A or Russia. But uh, an anarchist society is a society without rulers. Simple, without rulers. Not without rules, without rulers. It actually understands that people have the capacity, you know, to organise their lives and the lives of the, and, and the people around them into a viable, productive community which satisfies human needs. Very simple concept. So how do you organise a society without rulers? There are two concepts. You've got to break down hierarchy. You break down hierarchy by devolving power, and one way of devolving power is through direct democratic methods, and you break down hierarchy by holding wealth in common. It's inequalities in power and wealth which allow rulers to promote their interest and the interest of their circle of friends and families before everybody else's interest. Very simple concept, something that human beings have been struggling since time immemorial and will continue to struggle until planet Earth disappears or we uh, disappear under our own excrement. That's what anarchism is all about. And I describe myself as a postmodern anarchism. So, what's a postmodern anarchist? Well, it's a very simple concept. It's somebody who's not burdened by ideological uh, garbage and historical precedents. Because, you know, many anarchists keep saying it's got to be done this way or that way. It was done that way in the 19th century. Garbage. We need to move on and look at different tactics and strategies in order to devolve power and hold wealth in common. Now, interesting week. Every week is interesting, especially if you're alive. I've never heard any dead people basically kind of, you know, restructure the world, although some people think the dead can restructure the world, but that's another, they're called religions. Now, it is a period, we find ourselves a, a period in human history when the certainties of the past are crumbling. And I'd like to maybe start off today by looking at President-elect De Groper, our very own Donald Trump, De Groper, President-elect De Groper, and the Russian link. It's fascinating because, you see, one thing about President De Groper, Donald, to his mates, De Groper to us, is that he understands 
how important it is for those with power, with economic power, how important it is to control the state apparatus. Although there are checks and balances within the United States system of government, which makes it difficult for an oligarch to have it all their own way, the fact that they have a majority of the Republicans in the Senate, the House of uh, Congress, and have the presidency makes it exceptionally easy for an oligarch to gain power. See, what happened in 1989 when the old Soviet Union imploded is that the assets which are owned by the public or the Communist Party at that particular point in time, the ownership of these assets was transferred to individuals within the Communist Party who then used those public assets as their own personal assets and used those assets to strengthen their stranglehold on the state apparatus. And Russia is a classical oligarchy where unlike the corporate world in the Western sense, where although corporations dominate parliamentary politics, they don't actually control parliamentary politics. They dominate by the fact that they're actually able to set the parliamentary agenda in the majority of cases. But they don't, they don't hold, they don't have a stranglehold over parliament. In Russia... What we see is the oligarchs, those men, basically men, who made their fortunes by stealing public property and putting it into their own pockets and then using that public property to amass a fortune for themselves and the people around them and their families, have a total stranglehold on Parliament and Parliament is little more than a rubber stamp for the oligarchs. Now, what we see in the United States of America is something very, very similar is about to occur. Although the United States of America likes to think of itself as a revolutionary republic, the United States was born from revolution. The fact is that in 2016, what we have seen is the spectacle of a billionaire, one of the richest people in the United States of America, using his resources and a canny postmodern media campaign which sidelined the traditional media, gained power. Not in terms of the majority of votes, but in terms of the fact that one in four Americans who are entitled to vote voted for Mr President de Groper known as the Donald, among his friends. So what we are, have seen now, what we will see after the 20th of January, is the oligarch and the other oligarchs which have been appointed to positions of power in the United States administration attempting to exercise a stranglehold on power in the United States of America to promote their interests. For example, 
24 hours ago or 48 hours ago, President-elect De Groper put out a tweet. He loves putting out tweets because, you see, when you put out tweets, it forces, if you're in a position of authority, it forces people to respond. I mean, our own very, our own Mr Murdoch used to be a tweeter, but these days, obviously, Donald D, you know, President-elect De Groper is a little bit, bit more um, heavyweight than poor old Murdoch part of the old media empire. So going back to President D. Groper, he put out a Twitter tweet regarding the cost of, you know, these not spaceships, these fighters they're, they're building for Australia and for themselves and the cost. Now, this was a very strategic tweet because just before the tweet came out, there was a run on those particular shares, Boeing shares. There was a run on the stock market on those particular shares. And a number of people made killings, financial killings, what occurred. So what we will see in the United States in the next few years is the blurring of the line between the public and the private, where those who have power use that power to promote their interests and the interests of their family. It's it's not surprising that President-elect D. Groper is very keen to get his family into positions of authority in the new administration. And the fact that what we are seeing in the new administration is those who have wealth coming to the fore And their primary role will be to ensure that they line their pockets at the expense of the community. And the irony is, is that Americans who voted for President D. Groper, not that they had much of a choice at the last uh, election, were those very Americans who are the victims of the globalisation, corporatisation, deregulation, privatisation revolution. And although President-elect D. Groper may make, you know, all the right noises regarding, all the right noises, you know, regarding corporatisation and globalisation, when it comes to delivering he's going to have a very, very difficult problem, even if the American economy continues to print money. So so it's no surprise that this connection between the Russian oligarchs and the emerging American oligarchs, because the emerging American oligarchs, to a significant degree, have been in the business of making money and influencing Parliament, or influencing Congress and the Senate, and the president and the president-elect, but now that an oligarch is president, there is a very strong possibility that all we are going to see is the fortunes of those in power escalate 
and the fortunes of everybody else dissipate. So it is a fascinating position because, you see, this is a classic election. This is a classic election which, to some degree, may be repeated in Australia in, say, two and a half years' time federally. It's a classic election. Here we had those that had been left behind to a significant degree by those who exercise power and by the 1%, that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, putting their faith in the very same people to resolve their issues using race and gender as their battering ram, pandering to people's beliefs that if only we could get rid of the other from our society, everything would be hunky-dory. And that's why the slogan was, make America great again. And that's the key, again. So how do you make America great again? And you make America great again by imposing inequality and by ostracising the other in that community. So keep your eyes and ears open. So it all makes sense. But it is an issue for Australia. It is an issue for Australia because on the one hand, we have our major trading relationships and so-called standard of living is directly related to Chinese interaction, whether it's trade or investment. On the other hand, the Russian oligarchs and the American oligarchs under our good friend President-elect D. Groper see themselves as allies because they understand themselves. They understand the concept of democracy in the 21st century has changed. They understand with the new technology that the oligarch can control the decision-making process through the organisations being established to represent the will of the people, which in the United States of America is Congress and the Senate and the President, obviously. So you've got this situation where you will see the Russian oligarchs and the American oligarchs come together. And they'll come together because their business interests force them to come together and work together to promote their interests at the expense, not only of the globe, at the expense of their very own citizens, the very own, the very same people who gave them the authority you know, to act on their behalf. It's no accident that Vladimir Putin continues to win election after election. No accident at all. So the natural enemy is the Chinese Communist Party, or what's left of it. The Chinese, let's call them the Chinese administration. I don't want to use the word communist or Chinese. It's just, it's too ironical. So the Chinese administration. So this puts Australia in a difficult situation, and that's why we're already hearing little thought bubbles about alliances and what to do about Taiwan and, you know, all these things. So you have this alliance between the United States of America under President-elect de Groper and the Russian Federation under our little mate Vladimir coming together to promote their interests and the interests of the oligarchs which control 
which have an increasing, which control Russia, but have an increasing influence in the United States of America against the Chinese, who they see has their economic competitors because one thing the Chinese administration does is actually attempt to maintain its power by not opening up its borders to foreign investment, as we saw in this country. So sooner or later, and I think it'll be sooner more than later, we're going to be asked to make a decision. And that decision can have powerful ramifications for us because we Australia has a number of issues which nobody wants to talk about, which I will raise in the next few minutes. It's not just an issue of trade with China, but then we have to make up our mind what happens when the belligerents between the United States of America under President De Groper increases as far as the Chinese is concerned. We'll be asked to choose. And if we choose the American way, huge economic dislocation. If we choose the Chinese way, huge political issues because to our north is the Indonesian state with over 260 million people. And what we've seen in Indonesia in the last... 10 days is fascinating, fascinating. We saw the largest demonstration on the 2nd of November, which was organised by Muslim fundamentalists, over 500,000 people congregated in downtown Jakarta asking for the imprisonment of the governor of Jakarta, Ahok, who was kind of the deputy for the current president, Joker Widodo. You know, we've asked this, you know, this trial on blasphemy charges. That's right. You can still be jailing for blasphemy in good old Indonesia. So here we have the rise of Muslim fundamentalism in Indonesia. We have an increasing alliance between the oligarchs in the US of A and Russia. We have the ostracisation of the Chinese Communist Party. We have the growth of uh, Indian neoliberalism, which is, you know, is reaching breakneck proportions currently. And little old Australia will have to choose. And if it doesn't choose to stay under the American alliance, we will find increasing difficulty dealing with the Indonesian archipelago because of the growth of Muslim fundamentalism in Indonesia. So think about it. Interesting times, isn't it? But when you think of President D. Gray, but don't think of him as a you know, just an ordinary president. He's an oligarch. He's there to benefit him and his family. That is his primary aim. Whether he can deliver or not, who knows? Truth doesn't really matter. I mean, people say this is all new. It is not new. This is a replay of the 1920s and 1930s. It's a replay of what happened in Europe in the 1920s and 1930s. It's very simple. The middle class collapses. The middle class looks for a saviour and a strong leader. Mr Hitler 
and the Nazis, you know, under the banner of national socialism, nationalism and socialism, nationalism, love of country, socialism, you know, keeping the world together, under that banner, march into the uh, Weimar Republic and after about 20 years of struggle, have a significant uh, base in parliament, have a coup, bingo, the National Socialist Nazi experiment begins and we saw where that ends. You know, people are always looking for simple solutions. Strong leaders ostracise the other, whether it's the Jew, the black, you know, the gay. doesn't matter who it is. As long as you've got somebody you can ostracise. We've always had Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders in Australia, which has always been a handy group to kick around, the original owners of the land. You know, ostracise the other and get on with the business of control because it's about control. It's not about human nature. It's about control. It's about power. It's about exercising power. It's about capturing the organs of the state, the institutions of the state, and using those institutions to impose your will on people. That's what it's about. It's that constant struggle between the centralisation of power, decentralisation of power. A lot of people say to me, well, you're an anarchist. You must have an inordinate amount of faith in human nature that people will do the right thing. Hey, I have no faith in human nature. We are all born with feet of clay and if placed in similar situations, 99.9% of us, including yours truly, basically do what's best for yourself and your family and the people around you. That is the essence of human nature. That is the essence. I have no faith in human nature. I'm the only person who has no faith in human nature. Anarchists are the only people who have no faith in human nature, that human beings are going to do the right things by each other. That's why we want to devolve power, break down hierarchy, ensure there aren't institutional structures which allow the President-elect de-gropers and the Vladimir Putins of the world to use those apparatus, to use that state power to impose their will on other people. It's that simple. It is steadily simple. It's about power. It's about wealth. It's about the concentration of power. It's about the you know, concentration of wealth. Anarchism is about breaking down that concentration of power and wealth and creating structures where megalomaniacs like myself cannot use those structures to impose our will on other people. It's that simple. The more hierarchical a society, the greater the damage that occurs in a community because of that, those hierarchical relationships and the power that hierarchy gives people. The more decentralised power is in the community, the less damage that occurs because no one is able to exercise power. And that's why Congress and the Senate of the United States of America do have the power to block certain appointments by President-elect de Groper because they understood, the founding fathers of the United States of America in 1776 understood that you need to devolve power in order to have democracy. 
not representative democracy, which we've got today, but democracy, rule of the people, by the people, for the people. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can go to my personal Facebook page. Now, you won't find out what I uh, ate for breakfast. I can assure you that. Go to Toscano, T-O-S-C-A-N-O, the number four, the public. Toscano for the public. You can go to the AMI website, anarchismedia.org, anarchismedia.org. You can go to public interest before corporate interest, pipsy.net. You can go to to Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing. And there's lots of other things you can go to, but it's up to you. All right, let's move on. So what does it mean here? Because what's happening here is no different to a significant degree to what's actually happened in in the United States of America and the Federated... Russian Republic, India, and the list goes on and on. What we have is political parties and individuals who are making their political fortunes by concentrating on the other, by suggesting and stating as a fact that the other is the fundamental issue that faces each and every one of us in this country. And it's fascinating that when you look at the crossbenchers in the Senate, that Jackie Lambie is considered to be the radical amongst them. Think about it, of the 11 crossbenchers. And that, significantly, that most legislation that is passed is passed courtesy of divided nation, formerly known as One Nation. People call it One Nation, I call it Divided Nation. I mean, it's policies which is about dividing the nation, you know. Irrespective of how much public support they they gather or think they're gathering, it's about division. I mean, to call them One Nation is ridiculous. It's Divided Nation. That's what they are, a divided nation, okay? They're creating a divided nation. So you've got this situation... The people who push a decentralised egalitarian agenda are no longer part of the political landscape. We're not part of the social landscape. We are idiosyncrasies. We are nothing more than marginal sludge as far as the population is concerned. And that picture continues to be pushed and promoted, and I'll talk about this later on, by the Murdoch media in this country. We are nothing. Sludge. Sludge. Nothing. Marginalised. Politically, although there is a significant Green presence, about one in ten people vote for the Greens, as far as anything to the left of the Greens, there is nothing. Nothing on the political landscape. Obviously, there are small organisations and groups being involved in direct action and doing their own thing. 
But in terms of political movement, which captures the imagination of the Australian people, which has the potential to capture the imagination of the Australian people, there is nothing out there. Because, to a significant degree, the Labor Party, since the demise of the Whitlam government in 1975, has been promoting and following and continues to promote and follow the de the uh, deregulation, privatisation, globalisation and corporatisation agenda, which has been the bread and butter, the pillars of post-Whitlam political discourse in this country. And we've seen the transformation of this country into a land of investors where investing is the single dominant activity of people, whether they do it consciously or unconsciously, consciously through their direct investments, unconsciously through their superannuation funds and superannuation, which is used, you know, to support and bankroll the current system. So here we have this this wasteland, a political, social wasteland, You could even add cultural to it. It is a wasteland. We have people, excuse the biblical analogy, sowing seeds on stony ground. We have little patches, little patches growing little crevices. And where are these little patches and these little crevices? There are no wildfires anymore. Just little patches of seeds growing in the crevices between stony ground. And that stony ground is dominated by those who see the other as the essential issue. For example, simple example, we are told there's not enough money constantly, day in and day out. And of course there's not enough money. And we all know why there's not enough money. Because the corporate sector is pigging out on public funds to promote their own financial interests. Pigging out on public funds. When seriously, people are talking about giving some multi-transnational corporation a billion dollars to set up a marginal coal mine, you begin to realise how stupid things have become, how silly they've become. It's all almost Monty Python-esque. Totally silly. And then we have the government of the day under Mr Turnbull. You know, the leader is not a leader. The man is really a figurehead in a political party which is dominated by, you know, by um, President-elect de Groper clones. You know, talking about Oh, we've got to look at the black economy. I thought the GST was introduced to take, you know, take hold of the black economy. Obviously, they don't have the power to attack the corporate sector. And we're going to see less ability to regulate the corporate sector, especially transnational corporations who are based in the United States of America, with President-elect D. Groper's um, corporate-friendly policies, which will be introduced in that country, hoping that a few crumbs will fall off the table to ensure that people in the Midwest get a job? Possibly. 
So here we have a great wasteland, a great opportunity for activists, a great opportunity which is not being taken up, not being taken up. And I'm the convener of public interest before corporate interest for one very good reason, only one reason. I think, I don't believe, because there's no basis, in fact, you know, for beliefs. I think the time is ripe for the development of a political movement which is both, both, both has parliamentary aspirations and non-parliamentary aspirations to take up that wasteland, to put soil on that wasteland and see those little, little crevices full of, you know, wheat, see those little crevices join together as we're seeing in many parts of southern Europe, as we see around southern Europe, political movements which incorporate the other, but look at power and wealth, like the five-star movement in Italy, are looking at different ways of approaching the issue, ensuring the corporate sector pays their way. It's very simple. There is no such political party in this country. There is no such political movement. There are diverse little people doing their own thing. So the whole purpose of public interest before corporate interests was to bring people together into a political party which could challenge, not the government of the day at this particular point in, in time, but challenge the dis political parties and groups which have been established which are feeding off the dissatisfaction which occurs which doesn't blame the other as the primary cause of the problem which sees the primary cause of the problem is the fact that on every available statistical indicator that corporate interests are always put before the interests of the public because parliamentary political parties that exercise power have no interest in the public generally as a concept. So that's what public interest before corporate interests was established for. And as I said before, we need 500 people on the electoral roll to register it as a federal political party. And once it's registered as a federal political party, it will be able to water that wheat which is growing in, the, growing in the crevices in this wasteland and allow those ideas to become part and parcel of the political debate which occurs. And see, that's the strength. That's the strength of those small political parties that have been established which are gathering momentum by targeting the other. That's their strength, the fact that they've been able to register as a political party and continue that struggle. So think about it. On the electoral roll, listen to the anarchist world this week, thinking of becoming involved in something. You don't have to do It's not much joining public interest before corporate interest. You get an application form, you fill it out, you send it in, end of story, you get your card, bingo. You're part of an organisation. You're not asking you for money. 
We're not asking you for time or effort. We're asking you basically to join, become part of it. Simple concept. Nothing, you know, nothing complex about it. But what we need to do is create that alternative, not just in terms of direct action, which comes and goes, which is pigeonholed and ostracised, not just in terms of living on the margins, but in terms of moving into the wasteland, putting soil on that wasteland and growing more wheat or barley or whatever you want to grow on the wasteland. Intellectual stuff, you know, interesting stuff. Stuff that actually doesn't look at half-truths or manufactured truths or manufactured... It's, it's not, not new. Everybody thinks, oh, this post-truth period is something new. It's not new. It's called propaganda. It's been an issue for centuries. Those that exercise power use propaganda to prop up their power. If the propaganda doesn't work, then they take out the sword, you know, from the sheaf. But in order for them to take out the sword from the sheaf, you need to be able to counter that propaganda. And it is propaganda. That's all it is. It's nothing new. Post-truth is nothing new. It's propaganda. Everybody claims that the technological revolution has changed the political debate. It hasn't changed the political debate. It hasn't changed the social debate. All it's done is allow more people to become involved quickly and to lose interest quickly. I mean, that's the nebulous aspect of it all. And when you have a parliamentary system which is based on representative democracy, when you give somebody a signed blank cheque to make decisions for you for the next three or four years, don't be surprised if that system is manipulated to ensure that those that exercise power and have wealth continue to exercise power and wealth. That is the nature of the beast. That is the nature. And that's why we're not just about electing people to parliament. We're about looking at alternative methods of democracy, concepts like direct democracy, where the people make a decision and then elect or coordinate delegates to coordinate those decisions at a regional, local and national level, if, if required, local, regional and national level. So it's a different way of doing business. And that's the key, doing business. Because today, doing business is about making a buck irrespective of the human, social and environmental costs. And when you remove the state from the equation, you give all the power to the private sector. And when you demean, eradicate, remove the public sector as a, con- as a concept, the fact that the public has a role in government and society, when that is removed from the public consciousness, you begin to understand how difficult the situation has become. Because one thing I learned with public interest before corporate interest was concepts that you and I may take for granted are foreign. It's like speaking to somebody in a foreign language when you call when you talk about public good. What's the public? You know? What's this public thing? I'm not part of the public. My name's Joe. You know just extraordinary stuff. Extraordinary stuff. And that's because the concept of the public is no longer a central concept of our society. And to a large degree 
It is the problem of the orthodox media because the orthodox media continues to believe that it is the parliamentary kingmaker. And to a significant degree, especially in this country, it continues to be the parliamentary kingmaker, the orthodox media. They decide who's inside the box and who's outside the box. If you're outside the box, you're not worth talking to. So there's all these value judgments which occur by the orthodox media, which continues to have an impact on what's happening. I'll give you a a simple example. Now, when the state Labor government was elected in Victoria, it was elected courtesy of its activities in marginal seat. It did not rely on the Murdoch media, and the Murdoch media has been fuming ever since. And since then, they've been involved in campaigns to destabilise the Andrews-led government. And the beauty is that Mr Daniel Andrews is doing the job for them by falling for the trick that somehow... There are people in his government which are destabilising him. This goes on and on. I'll give you an example. That's the Minister for Housing, Martin Foley, the member for Albert Park, was celebrating the fact that the squatters and professional protesters, these were exact words, had been removed from the East Link houses in Parkville and Clifton Hill and Collingwood. Removed. And the management of that property had been handed over to the Salvation Army. That's right. To provide homes for victims of domestic violence. He was crowing about the fact that these were professional demonstrators. Well, if they're professional demonstrators, I wonder who pays them. Is it the state government? So when they use the rhetoric of those who exercise power to maintain power, And those very people who believe they're born to rule do everything they can to destabilise them. It's interesting to see that they've forgotten where their roots lie. They've forgotten that it's people like us that are the backbone of that movement to create an alternative to the current, you know, capital-dominated fairy story that is the part and parcel of everyday's life in 21st century Australia and Victoria. Give you, let's look at a few examples. What you want to do is look at examples. Welfare. For decades we've had this battle against welfare. It is not welfare. It is a social security net. And the bigger holes you create in the social security net, the more long-term and short-term law and order issues you have. And the whole purpose of the social security system was to protect both those who owned property and those who have nothing. Because if those who have nothing continue to have nothing, they have to resort to illegal means in order to survive. So a social security net was introduced as a Protection. It was protection for the community as a whole. And we are now seeing this protection eroded on a daily basis by governments who somehow think providing 
social security for people who find themselves in difficult situations is a, a negative thing, a drain on the public purse. It's not a drain on the public purse. It's what allows us to be a civilised community. And then we have bludgers, right? People living the rife life of Riley, the bludgers on the new start allowance who take home $251 a week or is it $252 a week? Bludgers, bludgers. And everybody talks about bludgers, the news corporation and 21st Century Fox, the great experts on bludgers. Every day, every day, stories about people ripping off and bludging off the system. Every day of our life. Same story. So who are the biggest bludgers on the planet? Who are the biggest bludgers in Australia today? Well, we all know that President-elect D. Groper never paid income tax legally. He, you know, he says people are fools who pay income tax. Fools. And we all know that Mr Murdoch and his, you know, cohorts are the experts at not paying income tax in this country. The experts. He's so good at it, he received an $886 million tax refund from the tax office in 2013 for a little bit of creative accountancy. The biggest tax refund in the history of the uh, the Australian Federation since 1901. But these people are lauded as heroes, put in positions of power. We wait with bated breath for their latest tweet. Oh, woe is me. Oh, woe is me. As if I want to waste what's left of my life reading their shit. Come on, give me a break. But people somehow think it's important what these bludgers do. It's corporations which are the bludgers. They are the 24-carat bludgers. They don't pay tax. They pay voluntary taxation. They expect the laws to be structured in such a way as to protect their interests, the interests of their shareholders. They expect the law to be applied in such a way as to protect their interests. They expect to use all the infrastructure which has been created through the blood, sweat and tears of ordinary people over generations. They expect to be given, given public property at peppercorn rents, given away. And if you think I'm exaggerating, look what's happening in Victoria today with public housing. And that's why public, public Defend and Extend Public Housing Victoria, was, Australia was, was established. Here we have a Labor government, which claims the left-wing Labor government, playing to give away titles of public housing to the private sector. We have a Labor government which is entering into partnerships, private-public partnerships to provide public housing when 90%, 70-90% of that profit goes to those private corporations. We have a Labor government which has given away the management of public housing to privately owned organisations and which would love to hand over the titles in the near future. It's really extraordinary when you think about it. But this is, this is the issue. And we have a media environment. 
which does everything it can to denigrate, marginalise, ostracise, criminalise anybody involved in any action which calls into question those who exercise power and concentrate wealth in their hands. It's as if to question is a criminal act. It's as if to join together is a criminal act. And that's what we are seeing, the criminalisation of ordinary trade unionists, the criminalisations of people who are, you know, want to make a change, you know, denigrated as professional protesters, not just by the Liberal National Coalition or the divided nation crowd, you know, who are basically uh, the hand rub for the Liberal National Party. Remember, that's where they came from initially and that's where they get most of their support. You know, from the Liberal National Party, their their hand rub. You know, it's just extraordinary, and we're supposed to sit back and say, "Oh woe is me, oh woe is me." There's nothing I can do. It's all too much. I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to have another hit of heroin. Time to have a snort of coke. You know, oh woe is me, oh woe is me. You can't fight City Hall. It's all too hard. Let's get stuck into the music scene. Let's go on the surf the net. Let's watch a bit of porn. Let's have a look at the latest movie. Oh, woe is me. And that's the dilemma that we face as activists. That is the dilemma. That is the 21st century dilemma. People think that by complaining, not acting, things will change. We have a culture of complaint. A culture of complaint which dominates every aspect of our existence. This culture of complaint. Not a culture of action, but a culture of complaint. Begging, beseeching, you know, standing, you know, on bended knee, doffing our cap nineteenth century style. You know? Complain, complain, complain. Because we have been reduced to consumers. And this is not something new. This is something that's happened over the last 40 years. We're no longer citizens with rights and responsibilities. We are nothing more than carping, complaining consumers who have not learnt the lessons of history. And the lessons of history is direct action, parliamentary activity, but action is the key to change. And it may be difficult, and it will be difficult, and it may take patience, and it takes time, and it takes intellect, and it takes resources, and it takes a little bit of heart. But it is that action, whether it's through a registered political party or whether it's through direct action, which makes all the difference in the long run, which breaks the power of those people who, who, who exercise power which allows those few blades of grass which are continuing to survive in the cracks on this cultural, political, social wasteland we live on today on planet Earth and the land of Oz, the land down under, that grass begins to grow on that wasteland and we are that grass in those crevices and we can grow if we make that decision 
So, if you're interested, join us. Public interest before corporate interests. Give us a ring. We'll send you an application form, 0439 395 489. Computer literate, bored and listless, download the application form from Pipsi, P-I-B-C-I.net, P-I-B-C-I.net. Want to find out what's going on in the world today? Go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano, the number four, the public. Toscano for the public. Other websites you could look at. Anarchistmedia.org. Anarchistmedia.org. Go to the Facebook page. Defend and extend public housing Australia. Get involved in that campaign. Don't like anything we're doing? Form your own group. Form your own campaign. But the key is action, not just words. Words without action, useless. Breeding ground for cynicism and carping, complaining consumers. You can leave messages on... 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. You can write to me at post. Yes, we do answer letters. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can become my friend. That's right. Not that I know who you are. Go to Toscano for. The public, like the page, tell your friends, tell your enemies. This program is podcast. It's broadcast across Australia in every state, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This is your chance to do something about your life and the life of the people around you. 2017 is just around the corner. You can do what you did in 2016 and play the net, gamble, watch TV, drown your sorrows. Or you can get involved in action. If you don't like what we're we're doing, there are many other groups doing little things around this planet and this earth and this country. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program has been podcast. The podcast is accessible through 3cr.org.au, 3cr.org.au. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. And remember, ultimately it's up to you. You can be a carping, complaining consumer, or you can be an activist. You can be part of that grass which is growing from the crevices, which is going to cover that wasteland. So thank you again. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station via the Community Radio Network. Listening to the Anarchist World this week, yours truly, Joseph Toscana, next week on your local community radio station. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.